welcome to Psych Minds and Behavior Change with me, your host, Nicole Plumridge. Do you wonder why people behave the way that they do? Does human behavior baffle you? Well, I'm a board certified behavior analyst and have worked in the Applied Behavior Analysis field, or ABA, for the past 10 years. While my work has mainly been with individuals with learning difficulties, autism, behavioral challenges, the principles of behavior relate to everyone. So if you're interested in cultivating a deeper understanding of human behavior, just keep listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Psych Minds and Behavior Change podcast. Today's episode is the last episode of what kind of turned into the Function of Maladaptive Behavior series. So based on research, there are four main reasons or functions that lie behind a behavior. And these are to access escape, to gain attention for automatic or sensory purposes, and to gain access to tangible items. So we will be focusing on the tangible items one today. And as usual, we will be defining what it means to engage in maladaptive behavior for tangible reasons. And we'll talk about what to do before and after such a behavior occurs. Before we get into this episode, I'd highly recommend you check out the freebies over on the resource library on psychminds.com. For both the escape and attention maintained episodes, I created workbooks where everything I discussed has been broken down into like easy to read sections. There's also a space to include your child in the discussion and note down their input and come up with behavior plans together so that they feel they're part of the process. For the sensory maintained behavior episode, there's a free visual which has instructions on how to implement one of the reinforcement procedures that I spoke about in the episode, which is designed to reduce the challenging behavior. And it's a procedure that I've used many times with clients, and it has been highly effective. In this episode, I'm not only going to talk about tangible, maintained, challenging behavior, but I also want to wrap things up a little and mention what I consider to be the fifth function of behavior, but I'll get into that a bit later. So without further ado, I'll begin by defining what I mean by tangibly maintained challenging behavior. So this is just a fancy way of saying that it is any maladaptive behavior that occurs because the child wants to gain access to a tangible item. And a tangible item can be anything like toys, the iPad can be food, tea, anything that is physical that the child can gain access to. It can also be a place. Maybe they want to go to some play area. And the behavior itself can vary. It can be the child might hit, they might scream, they might flop to the floor to get these things. But the behavior itself isn't what we're going to focus on. We're going to be focusing on the function. Now, I don't want to spend too long talking about tangible, maintained problem behavior because the procedures used are actually very similar to everything that we already discussed in the escaped maintained behavior episode, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it. So basically, a kid isn't just looking to escape doing a task or a chore. They usually want to escape doing that thing in order to access something else, which is more reinforcing for them. So there's a lot of overlap. 
I guess you could say, between the functions of escape and tangible. And because of that overlap, the interventions used are actually very similar. So what I'll do is quickly run through a few key interventions that relate to tangible maintain challenging behavior, which some of them have been mentioned in the escape episode, and I'll discuss a couple of additional ones. I also want to touch on how these functions might manifest in the real world outside all this theory talk, since behavior isn't quite as clear-cut as we might like for it to be. There's lots of nuances and a lot of things to take into consideration when talking about human behavior. Now, in terms of interventions for tangibly maintained challenging behavior, it is crucial to ensure that you're doing regular preference assessments with your child before asking them to do a task. So you might show them different toys, you might just ask them, you might show them pictures of different things that they like to earn, but you have to be asking them, what do you want to earn for doing this task? So we want to make sure that they are motivated and that they are earning something at the end of the task, which will keep them motivated throughout the process of completing it. So when they're doing the task, if they start getting off track, you can deliver the contingency reviews or the reminders as to what they're earning when they finish. So let's say they start acting silly. You can say, oh, remember you're earning coloring once you finish this assignment. Using visuals and timers, as mentioned in the Escape Maintained behavior episode, are also extremely valuable and relevant to use here. I see these interventions being like a bridge. So the child wants the tangible item, let's say it's the iPad. In order to access the iPad, they have to cross that bridge first. And the bridge might be doing a chore around the house. It could be finishing homework. It could be playing a group game with their siblings, having dinner with the family, anything basically that the child might struggle with. It's important to have them earn something in order to motivate them to go through the process, the task, the chore, whatever it is. It's also important to teach an appropriate alternative response. So let's say your child engages in something like self-injurious behavior to get what they want. Now, in my clinical practice, I've seen some very serious self-injurious behavior or SIB for short. And especially when it comes to SIB, you want to get that behavior down in terms of how often it's occurring. And you want to do that quickly, regardless of whether the child does work or does the chore or whatever. When it's a matter of health and safety, it's not that important making sure that they do their homework. There are priorities and your child's health is the priority in this case. So you might just want to teach your child an appropriate way to ask for things and then reward your child with whatever it is that they're asking for as long as they're asking in the right way and not using SIB as a form of communicating their wants to you. An appropriate response could be as simple as teaching your child to point at the things they want or teaching them to say, I want ball or ball, teach them these words vocally or have them use a speech generating device if they're not yet vocal. 
You could also teach them sign language for their favorite objects or take pictures of items, activities, places, people, food, drink, toys, whatever things are in their environment and teach them to hand over the picture of the desired item in exchange for the actual item. Now, for a more in-depth look at the different communication systems, definitely check out the non-vocal communication episode, which I did earlier, because this really delves into the alternatives to vocal communication. And it's really important, especially when dealing with severe behavior, that you have a communication system in place. Another strategy is what is called the PREMAC principle in ABA, but more commonly it's known as grandma's law. And basically this states that you have to do the less preferred thing to get the more preferred thing. So it's called grandma's law because your grandma might typically say, eat your dinner and then you get your ice cream. And this is the essence of the PREMAC principle. Quite simple and it's also quite effective. Now, I don't want to spend too much more time on tangibly maintaining challenging behavior, but if you do have any questions, please feel free to reach out. You can get in touch with me via my Instagram handle, which is Psych Minds Podcast, and everything, as usual, will be linked down below in the show notes. Now, I did want to touch on what I consider to be the fifth function of behavior, and it's important to note that escape, attention, automatic and tangibly maintained challenging behavior functions have been well researched in the scientific literature and it's been demonstrated multiple times that these are genuine functions of behavior and can explain why individuals engage in the behaviors that they engage in. However, as part of my practice and based on some of the individuals I've worked with, I don't feel that they necessarily fit quite so neatly into one of those categories. Instead, I would say they fit into this fifth category, which is control. How this typically manifests is that there's usually a primary function. So since we're focusing on maladaptive behavior to gain access to tangibles, let's stick with the tangible example. So the child hits to gain access to the iPad. Now, if we gave the child non-contingent access to the iPad, which is ABA talk for just giving the child the iPad for free, they don't have to work or do anything for it, we would expect the hitting to go down and for them to stop hitting because they have what they want. And typically, this is what we see in the clinical setting. However, for... The kids that I've worked with who I would say have a control component to their behavior, the behavior does not necessarily decrease. So in this case, the hitting would not necessarily decrease and they might even start refusing the iPad and continue to hit. So I'll talk about a case of mine who had some control issues which we had to work through and his were mainly relating around or relating to trying to escape doing work. So he would have pretty intense and long-lasting problem behavior to get out of doing work tasks. So we implemented a program with him 
where all he would have to do is ask for a break and he would get it, regardless of anything that was happening around him. It didn't matter if it was academic time, gym, recess. It didn't matter if he was doing a test, a group assignment. If he requested a break, he got that. He got the break and he got to do whatever he wanted. So for the first few sessions where we implemented this intervention, he loved it. And he was asking for breaks constantly, constantly, and he was receiving them. And then after the breaks, he would come back refreshed and do work. Then... After a few sessions of this working successfully, he noticed that whenever he started acting silly or flopping around or talking in a very loud voice, these were his precursor behaviors, which, as mentioned before on previous episodes, these are behaviors that kind of signify that more serious maladaptive behaviors might ensue. So when he started engaging and the precursor behaviors, he noticed that we would prompt him either verbally or with a picture to ask for a break. So what did he do? He stopped asking. And if he didn't ask for a break, the contingency was that he had to continue with the task at hand. So whether it was an assignment, group work, whatever it was, he had to continue doing it. So when he stopped asking, we tried to make the response even easier for him. So although he was vocal, he could talk perfectly well, he used full sentences, we made the response so easy that all he had to do was point to the picture of a break and he would get a break. He refused. The second he felt that we were trying to control him in any way, even through the most mild prompts, he would engage in counter-control. Again, even though we were trying to give him what he wanted, or what we thought he wanted, which was the break. So in the end, we had to wait him out to an extent. So this resulted in several very long and honestly very boring sessions where he would flop to the floor. We would try to prompt him up to three times to request a break. And if he didn't, then we would ignore the behavior for as long as for as long as it was safe to do. And it was usually him flopping on the floor. Sometimes he would hit. But even if he did hit the staff, all staff wore protective gear. So they were kept safe. And they would just continue to remain neutral when he would do these things and not give attention or anything to it. The work task would also remain in front of him. But we wouldn't prompt him to complete this since he was quite prompt resistant. What we would do is we would make the task easier for him. So instead of him having to do all five problems on the worksheet, we would tell him that he only had to do one of the problems and then he could have his break or whatever he wanted. We also implemented choice procedures with him as an antecedent and consequence intervention to help him feel as if he was in control of the situation because obviously control was very important to him. So if he was engaging in problem behavior, we would tell him something like, do you want to finish the worksheet or do you want to color? So we weren't directly prompting him to ask for a break, even though that's what it seemed he wanted. We were just giving him the opportunity to tell us in the form of presenting choices. And one of the things that really helped 
in terms of de-escalating the, beha- the behavior and uh, just being quite a successful intervention was what we called calm verbal de-escalation procedures where we problem solved with him rather than just gave him the solution. So let's say he's flopped on the floor in his academics room. What we would do is we would get on the floor with him and say something along the lines of, okay, I can see that you're feeling bored right now. What can we do to make you feel better? And if he ignored that, we would start providing solutions. So usually we would also have a paper and pen with us, or we would have a whiteboard and whiteboard marker to show him that we were problem solving together. So we would start by writing down potential solutions, such as stand up and sit in my chair, continue with academics, ask for a break, go to the sensory break room, talk to a friend, get a glass of water. We would just list all these things, go for a walk. And after the first few sessions where he would just ignore us, he'd remain flopped on the floor, he did start engaging when we started this process. At first, some of his suggestions were things like stay on the floor, not listen to teachers, another one. What else did he say? Don't want to move. Yeah, so some of his solutions weren't the most kind of effective, but we did eventually get more constructive ones like finish the worksheet on the floor. He made that suggestion once. Sit with his friend and do the work together. So friends were very motivating for him. So by including him in the decision-making process, we gave him some of that control back. And when he would suggest doing work with his friend, usually that was a compromise that we could comply with, that the teacher was happy with. So that was the solution. And once we told him that, okay, do work with your friend, he would get off the floor, do his work, and engage in the appropriate behavior, and everything just went smoothly. So even though some of the suggestions that he gave obviously weren't ones that we would necessarily take into consideration, especially at first, not listen, stay here on the floor. We would still write down anything that he was saying to show him that he was part of this and he was part of the decision-making process and that everything he was saying, we would take seriously. So after writing out our suggestions, his suggestions, what we would typically do is read through them one by one, and show him which could potentially work and which ones we might have to cross off for now because they weren't going to work. And this strategy worked so well with him because I think he just liked feeling that he's part of this decision-making process and he's not just being told what to do by other people. So that was a little tangent on what kind of control and that function of behavior could look like. Again, I do want to emphasize that it's not as solidly documented in the scientific literature as a function in its own. But I think it's important to mention, especially because it's something that I have seen across multiple cases in my practice. So as a a conclusion, I do want to say that behavior is very nuanced and that it is usually a combination of factors and functions that result 
in the behavior exhibited. In ABA, this is referred to as multiple control. So a child may engage in hand-mouthing, not only because they like the sensation, which would make it automatically maintained, but also perhaps because it gets them attention, even if it's negative, like a parent saying, stop that or take your hand out of your mouth. So it can be very difficult sometimes to tease out the true or the dominant function. We typically try to do this in the clinical field by running specific assessments, but assessments are a very broad topic and I can talk more about those in another episode if that's something that might be of interest to you guys. Now, I would like to close out by reminding you to check out the free resource library over on PsychMinds. This episode's freebie is related to the calm verbal de-escalation procedure that I described. I didn't want to do a workbook or a free kind of download pertaining to maladaptive behavior maintained by access to tangibles, just because it would be very similar to the procedures and strategies discussed in the escaped maintained, escape maintained behavior workbook. So if you want to take a look at the escape workbook, definitely head on over to psychominds.com, go to the resource tab and subscribe. There you'll have access to all the previous episodes freebies, which are, they're piling up now because there's quite a few episodes out, which is great. But this freebie, as I said, is related to the verbal de-escalation strategy. So it's a flowchart which breaks down each of the steps in trying to problem solve with your child as opposed to just telling them what they should be feeling or what they should be doing. So this method is about taking your child's solutions and ideas into consideration and then reaching a compromise together. So it starts off with describing the current situation the feelings your child may be having around the said situation. So as part of this process, it is important for you to label your child's feelings if they are not forthcoming in telling you how they feel. But when you label them, you should make sure that you're doing so without judgment and also without correcting. So you might say something like, okay, you look upset, you look stressed right now as opposed to saying something like, oh, you shouldn't be upset. Whatever is happening, it's, it's not a big deal. So it's important to validate what they are feeling, not express how you think they should be feeling. Then the diagram mentions listing alternative responses, the potential solutions, and finally discussing all options with your child. So if you want that visual and that little reminder for yourself or for others, who might be working with your child, again, just head on over to psychminds.com and subscribe. And everything in the library is free. There's visuals to help you work with your child, workbooks for you and your child to fill in, cheat sheets, sample behavior plans, and so much more. So subscribe, explore, and have fun with that. With that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it useful in some way. Just as a reminder, everything said here is by no means prescriptive. So just take what works with you and your child and leave what doesn't. Thank you for listening and I'll connect with you in the next one. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. 
While it can take several hours to create with the scripting, recording and editing involved, it only takes a minute to rate, review and subscribe. These things help the podcast out so much and I'd be so grateful if you could do any one of them. With that being said, I hope you enjoyed the show and I look forward to connecting with you in an upcoming episode.